Hey, good morning, folks. I'm Al's brother-in-law, and uh, I met Al back in 1982 when I became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was extremely instrumental in grounding me in the grace of God. And so I've enjoyed uh, knowing Al over all the years, and enjoy, my wife and I uh, enjoy praying for Al and Laurel in your local church here, and uh, trust that uh, the Lord continues to be glorified here at Meteor Bible Church. In fact, Meteor Hills, I was wondering how um, the name ever came Meteor. Is this the township here? Okay, good. Well, we could have a scripture reading. I see we could have a scripture reading this morning. If you go up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, if you would, please, and look at verse 12, and we'll read verses 12 through 15. Starting in verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, that though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And I thought it was fitting the word remind or reminder is mentioned three times in our text regarding being established in the body of truth, and that truth is centered around the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to be remembrance in terms of Memorial Day weekend and thankful for our veterans who have served and the freedom to be able to meet here freely without any angst or pressure from government at this point in our lives to say I can freely meet and express my understanding and um, the things of the word of God. So would you pray with me before our message this morning? Father, we're thankful for a time that our nation has set aside, Memorial Day, to remember our veterans who have served or even continuing to serve. Thank you for the freedoms that we have in our country. We pray for our country leaders, right down to the local leadership, that they would have some sense of being established in the principles and truths of your word. They could even be saved by your amazing grace, and they could govern our land, Father, with the freedoms that we can, that we could continue and enjoy those freedoms so that we could freely meet here, freely preach the gospel in this country. As we know, there are many other countries, Father, that are under oppression, under dictatorships, that they don't have that freedom. We even pray for those individual believers as well, that they would be able to meet and find protection from you ultimately. And we would ultimately then say, we are trusting in you, Father, for our ultimate protection you can direct with human government as we continue to pray for our nation's leaders. And we just pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you could open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'd like to ask you to open up with a question. What phrase or sentence in your English Bible do you think that the Apostle Paul repeated the most? And some of the 
folks here were singing earlier saw it on the PowerPoint, so you can't answer for me, okay? <laughs> so what phrase do you think that's been repeated the most by the Apostle Paul or even a full sentence in your English Bibles? And I don't mean it to you know, try to stump you. It's basically to bring us to an attention of a phrase that he uses in all 13 of his epistles. And it is, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that in Romans chapter 1, in verse 7. He says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I came across this saying this, that I'm wondering if it's popular or not. I've never heard it before. But it's ubiquity dilutes gravitas. And yes, there'll be an explanation for it. Okay? So what does this mean? Ubiquity is commonplace. Dilute is when something's diluted and gravitas is gravity. So something that is very common, we tend to lower it. It gets diluted in our minds. And so that's what we're saying about this phrase here that Paul says 13 times. Do we sometimes look, at a, look over and say, let me get to something more deep into the word of God. and Let's pass over the introduction. And so here's what one author says about Paul's greetings, his 13 greetings. Unfortunately, as in most things, ubiquity dilutes gravitas. And here's the explanation of it. Because it is so familiar or so common to us, we often pass over it. But here's the point. By doing so, however, we take a massive theological sentiment and make it a throwaway line. So what are we saying? What do we want to say about this phrase here? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord. We don't want to throw it away, and we want to understand it is a massive, according to this author, a massive theological sentiment. It has substance to it. It's a doctrinally sound phrase or sentence. And it's the opening response that Paul has for the believers in Rome, and this is his heartfelt concern for the believers in Rome, but it's mentioned in all 13 epistles, the same phrase. So that means he has a heartfelt concern for anybody, any audience he's writing to in all of his different letters. So here's what another author says regarding these opening lines that Paul has in every one of his epistles. So he interprets it, or he paraphrases it this way. May you know the generous power of God's grace and undergirding and coming to expression in your daily life. So he says this is a prayer for the unbounded and wholly generous outreaching power of God's grace, which makes for the believer's best well-being. And so what's his phrase for well-being there? It means that... Paul is saying, I want you to be at peace with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But what comes before the word peace is the word grace. What is it that can give that believer a tremendous amount of peace is an understanding of grace. And that grace comes from where? From the knowledge of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe an example of a believer's best well-being could be understood in Esther chapter 2 verse 11. Mordecai had adopted his cousin Esther into his family and raised her as his own daughter. And in Esther chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare or well-being and what was happening to her. 
So here's a picture of her being totally at peace. Why? Because who is watching over her? Mordecai was. And so Mordecai was watching over her, and she could always feel so secure because he was watching over her, in contrast to the villainous Haman, who would not be watching over her best and having her best in mind. And so we could say this, that we can have great peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ because he watches over us. But how do we know he watches over for us? we got to understand the grace that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to understand that we can be delivered from this present evil age and be at peace no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what the temperature of our country is in, and whatever political leaders are in office, we can ultimately say, you know what? I don't find my ultimate peace there. I find it from the grace that comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we can be free from all the isms of this world through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thinking of Paul's letters, 13 letters, all different audiences, all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He addresses unbelievers in some of those epistles. But let's just try to give a one-word definition of each one of his epistles. When we think of Romans, we would think of righteousness. Maybe a one-word definition of the book of 1 Corinthians would be the church is full of carnality, amongst some other things. When Paul writes 2 Corinthians, he is talking about his apostolic ministry and defending it and telling about his ministry for the saints. When Paul writes the book of Galatians, he's writing, addressing that there's legalism that has crept into the church. When he is addressing the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, it's that wonderful unity between Jew and Gentile, one in the body of Christ. That's what makes us so unique. Not some commonality that we have in this earthly system or living here, but our commonality is in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And no matter what our backgrounds are, we're all unified in the body of Christ. And then he writes the book of Philippians because he's so thankful for a gift that they sent. And it's a great, it's a great epistle of joy. You take Colossians, which, which the emphasis isn't on the body, but it's on Christ being preeminent, the head. So what is it that our body can be unified over is because of Christ, the preeminent one, who is the head of the church. And then he writes 1 Thessalonians. At the end of each chapter, he talks about the second coming of the rapture of the Lord or the revelation of the Lord and comforting them. 2 Thessalonians is written because they need correction on the day of the Lord. They were duped in thinking they're already in the tribulation. And it's like, we need to correct you on that so you don't have to get all frazzled about being in that time. And then there's that personal letter to Philemon, the plea to accept Onesimus as a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, the last three epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, are pastoral and written to Timothy and Titus regarding local churches. But what's my point here in the opening line, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus no matter what the churches are like and what condition they're in or who's he addressing to, what does he want for all of them? What does he want for the believers who are carnal? 
What does he want for the believers who are under legalism? What does he want for the believers that are pastors in local churches? What does he want for ones that are needing correction even in the end? What does he want? Does he say this flippantly, this opening line? Or is this opening line something that is under, he wants that to undergird and be substantial for the saints to believe in? And so he's not passing over it as an initial thought. This is a huge sentiment that Paul has for all believers and whatever, whatever the purpose of the letter is. In fact, I'll use the, the paraphrase that this author has for the statement, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Here's what Paul really wants. I want you to all know the generous power of God's grace undergirding and coming to expression in your daily life so you could be at peace with the Lord, enjoying his peace and with others in the body of Christ. So I know that my wife and I enjoy praying for Alan Laurel in the local church here. And maybe there's individuals that you know of or that you, that you, that you are thinking of in terms of the local church and you're saying, that local church really allows the word of Christ to dwell in them richly. I love that local church. So we pray for you that we are understanding that this is what is true of you, that you as a pattern are enjoying the word of Christ, letting it dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing mother in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts. Praise be to God for the singing this morning, that we can sing that heartily. So you're all welcoming that. Or maybe you know other people that are in bondage as believers to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Maybe, sadly, a, a child or a grandchild that was a believer at a young age. And they've walked away from the Lord and they're in bondage to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Actually, I, I, um, my wife and I just moved back to Duluth and I recently got a job. I'm a bus driver for the DTA in the city of Duluth. And I'm able to share... A lot of times at the end of my route when I've only got one or two passengers left and I have opportunity to give them a seven-second Bible illustration. You don't have a lot of time on the bus as you're on a route and so forth. So I've given this to dozens of people in the last number of months. And I actually learned the illustration from Yankee Arnold. And maybe you've heard it as the wallet illustration or maybe you haven't heard it at all. But here's what I asked them. Hey, can I give, can I give you a seven-second Bible illustration? And 99% say sure. So I say, here's you, and I'll have a phone or my glasses or whatever. And I'll say, here's you and me, here's our sins, here's Christ. You're going to count to see if it's last seven seconds, right? We'll start over again. So <laughs> That didn't count. So here's you and me, here's our sins, here's Christ. If Christ paid for all of our sins, how many are left for you to pay? And there's tremendous responses to that. A lot of times, thank you, and, you know, that's very powerful. Or, But the other day, I had an individual immediately tell me, I'm saved, but I'm carnal. I'm thinking like, wow, I, I don't hear that phrase hardly ever after. And he knows that he's carnal. He's been in, I go, uh, we had, I was at the end of my route, so I had, I had an opportunity to talk maybe one or two minutes. And I said, so you understand you're carnal, and we understood the gift of eternal life. He understood he was eternally secure. He understood he was saved by grace, not by works. And I said, where did you learn that term carnality? And he said, well, in the good book. And then we talked a little bit more. I said, I'm kind of curious, did you ever learn that in a local church? And he said, well, 40 years ago, I learned it in the church that Al and I went to back in 1982. 
And we didn't recognize each other because, you know, when you get older and you don't think that, you, anyway, I'm not getting any older. He, I didn't recognize him. But, so anyway, what a precious thing. But then he said he was carnal. What would we want for that individual? What, what does Paul want for the carnal Corinthians? I want you to have the abounding, undergirding grace in your life. Even though you are living in this direction, in bondage to the world, the flesh, and the devil, what do you want from them in the end? Even after they need correction or a warning or maybe a rebuke or something. You want them to enjoy the grace that you're enjoying. You want them to enjoy the peace of God that you're, you're enjoying so that they can have that same charmed Christian life that you're enjoying. And you can pray for them as well. Or maybe there's some people you just don't know where they're at. Does it really matter? Did it really matter in all of Paul's 13 epistles? What did he ultimately want for all of them, no matter where they were at as believers in Christ? I want you all to enjoy grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I've come to call it aha moments for, for people. My son lives in Tucson. My other son lives in Duluth. And I love praying for them. My wife and I love praying for them and other believers that aha moment is my only expression. A time where they have an apprehension. A time where they get a hold of something that the Spirit of God could, could bring them to an understanding of, wow, I'm saved by the grace of God. I have peace with God. I'm going to go home to be with him forever in eternity. I want them to enjoy that grace. And I can pray for them no matter where they're at. Maybe some people I don't know where they're at. Maybe some are in bondage to the world, flesh, and the devil. Others I know they're enjoying the word of Christ. And I want them to understand that. Or maybe you could even apply it to unbelievers who are blinded by the God of this world. You want them to understand what? You want that individual to see that how many sins have been paid for? All of them. Not some of them, but all of them. Christ paid for them all. Actually, another lady I was giving that illustration to, I said, can I give you a seven-second illustration? She goes, you gave it to me just two weeks ago. <laughs> I said, uh, well, can I give you another one? She goes, well, give me the, old, give me the other one because I wa I've been wanting to tell my friend about the illustration you gave me. So that was kind of neat. But then I said, I do have a second part to the illustration. You want to hear the se seven seconds? Okay, you, you have to anyway, okay. So here, here's you and me, here's our sins. If, and... If Christ died for all of our sins, how many are left for you to pay for? Then I have the opportunity to say, if Christ buried our sins in the deepest sea and he rose again, what stands between you and him in becoming a believer accepted in the beloved Lord Jesus Christ? You just place your faith in him, and now you're accepted in the beloved. And she liked that, too. So this is what we would want the unsaved, even though they're blinded by the God of this world from this glorious gospel, we all want individuals to have aha moments. It doesn't matter where they're at. We all want individuals, when we have the spiritual maturity, to have this in the launching pad of our thinking. So what is it that, where would we summarize, what book of the 13 books would we want, we want to understand the most about God's grace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let's pick the book of Romans. Romans chapters 1 through 8. And let's do a little bit of a, word study in the book of Romans as far as how many times words are repeated and then let's come up with a title for the book of Romans so that we can take heed to it and say well that's a great start I'm, I, know, I know you guys have been taught well here so this isn't new truth to you but 
like we read in Second Peter, we need to be reminded of these truths. So we keep saying, you know what, Lord? I can see that I keep getting reminded in that awesome grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so at peace with you. Now I can pray effectively for others, or I can even be a encouragement to one another in the local body of truth here. So when you think of Romans, the word righteousness or justified, which are very similar terms, that's found 30, 59 times in the book of Romans. The word love, mercy, and grace are very much related. Actually, grace and mercy is an expression of God's love. So I have to pause for a minute. I know that Al doesn't use PowerPoint, and I wondered how many of you would revolt over PowerPoint. So you're doing well so far. You're not turning your head away or anything like that. So thank you very much for taking heed to a PowerPoint, and I know it's kind of unusual for you. And I know even in a Bible church sometimes when you've been brought up and just it's opening your Bibles and turning to the scriptures, it's, I understand it's a little bit more unique. So please bear with me, and I appreciate that. So love, mercy, and grace found 41 times in the book of Romans. The word faith or believe, or words that are related to faith and believe, the book of Romans, 52 times. And we don't want to pass over how often God is mentioned in the book of Romans, 156 times. Another word that is, or forms of that word in the book of Romans is death or died. 48 times. And then the good news, words that are related, resurrection, raised, alive, and life. Our wonderful Savior who was raised from the dead, he dies, he will never die again. Hebrews 7 says that Jesus Christ has the power of endless life. And I know as we get up there in age, we, we, we actually begin to realize how um, fragile we are as the years go on, and praise be to God, that's amazing power that Christ is going to live forever, but we get to go in on his coattails because he has the power of endless life, and we get to enjoy that resurrection life forever and ever in the kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth. 47 times is, are these words found. And then the Lord Jesus Christ and his name are forms of his word, Lord Jesus or Christ, a combination of those. 68 times in the book of Romans. So if we were to have a summary of the book of Romans, and by the way, why are we doing this? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So what is it? You don't understand a lot about grace from the Lord Jesus, from that sentence alone, do you? Where are you going to really get a good grip on it? The book of Romans. Where are you going to understand how, we're, how you have peace with God through the book of Romans? So, do we do any audience participation here? You did well keeping quiet the last time. So, <laughs> Does anybody want to come up with a title for the book of Romans based on these words? Seriously, anybody want to throw something out there? Go ahead. So just... Instead of using the word righteous or justified, just use the word righteous, or just use the word God, or believe, or grace, or resurrection. Okay? All right, well, I'm hoping mine makes sense, because if you're not coming up with them, and I come up with one, and you're going, that's not what I came up with. <laughs> so here it is. Here's what we would say. When Paul says, I want you to be established in his grace, 
And I want you to pray, and I'm praying for every church to have that true arm. We're praying for meteor cure, kills. Pray for all, my wife and I love praying for all the pastors and their wives as well, regarding them to have this these aha times in their lives. And what do they really need to understand is get grounded in these things because they can bring it forth to the people. So they get grounded in the righteousness of God by faith in the grace of the death and resurrection of Christ. And what's our key verse in Romans? You can look on your Bibles if you would read with me or you can read on the PowerPoint. Verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So when we break down the book of Romans, we have justification, the point of salvation, ongoing sanctification, and ultimately future glorification. Just general chapter divisions for the book of Romans. Justification, we understand in Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5. Sanctification, Romans 6 through the first half of 8. And then glorification, the second half of chapter 8. What does it mean to be justified? We can say, I was declared righteous. Sanctification, or before that, we understand how we get declared righteous. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And when you place your faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are justified or you are declared righteous. As a result of being declared righteous, now you, have in, now you get all the benefits of being justified your initial faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the benefits of being justified are <clears throat> sanctification. The Lord empowers you to live righteously for his honor and glory. And then trying to keep the word righteous in the, in the future, I will be perfectly righteous, even though that's a little more clumsy. And we'll maybe you just want to use the word glorification as we talk. But it is true that in the past I've been declared righteous. In the present in sanctification, I'm empowered to live a righteous life that's acceptable before God. Before you're saved, all your righteousness are filthy rags. After you're saved, they're acceptable to the Lord by the power of the Spirit of God. And in the future, we'll be perfectly righteous. By the word, by the word, the, the way, uh, the word justification, sanctification, glorification, phycation is at the end of each one of those words, the suffix, phycation. And it actually, the word phycation means causing or making. So he causes you to be justified. He causes you to be sanctified. He causes you to be glorified. Who does that? You or does he cause you to do that? So maybe you've heard some words with fication in it. Beautification, mummification. And so here you are caused by God. God is the cause of you being justified. God is the cause of you being set apart in him, in Christ Jesus. And God is the cause of your future glorification, which means it's not by your works. It's all amazing grace. And this is what Paul is saying at the beginning of each one of his letters. 
I want you to understand the grace that comes from God the Father. And, and now we're expanding on a little bit. What grace does he want everybody to understand? That they've been saved in the past, that they're saved in the present, they're saved in the future. Or like a dear friend of mine, maybe you know him or have ever speak, spoken here, Dave Knudsen. Has Dave ever spoke here before? Okay, he's a pastor in Minneapolis, good friend of Al's and mine. And so he came up, he had this phrase that helps you remember past, present, future, where the victory is. I live by faith in the present in the Son of God. In light of what he's done for me in the past, as I look to him for the future. And that flows justification, sanctification, kind of takes the big theological terms out of it, right? It says, what's my daily Christian life like? I live by faith in the Son of God in the present. In light of what he's done for me in the past, wow, I remember when I got saved and all that he did for me. And as I look to him for the future, now do you think that'll bring about a lot of peace in your life? Over all the angst of this present world system? Over all the isms that can dominate this world system? Or that can tempt you to pull you away? He said, you know what, I can live above the fray of this world system. Because I live by faith in the Son of God in the present, in light of what he's done for me in the past, as I look to him for the future. But before you can enjoy these fications, these causes of justification, or being just or sanctified or glorified, from the book of Romans, you have to understand first that there was condemnation, and that's Romans chapters 1 through 3. So briefly, chapters 1 through 3, we think of condemnation, we're all born under the condemnation of God and we're blinded and we're all on the broad road that leads to hell. Romans chapter 1 would address the immoral road. Romans chapter 2 would address the moral road. Romans chapter 3 would address the religious road. And they're blinded because of, I'll, I'll say it just in a broad way of saying it, like Webster, how does he define an ism, like hedonism or legalism or humanism? An ism is a distinctive doctrine, cause, or theory. And so just take the word, just put the word cause in there. People are blinded because they have some cause that they think is worth living for. And it keeps them blinded from seeing their need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I grew up, I've been driving the bus by my old church that I grew up in. And here's the front of the church, and I know you can't read that, but it's a huge stone etch of the ascended or resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And the, the, the etch on, on the bottom is the, is the truth, I am the resurrection and the life. So for 22 years, actually I quit going to the church after eighth grade, after I got confirmed. I cheated my way through that as well anyway. So after I got confirmed, I asked my parents, could I not go to church anymore? I'm not really getting anything out of it. And they allowed me to do that. But on the front of the building, every time I walked in there, every time I drive by it on the bus, I see a very, very powerful statement. I am the resurrection and the life. And it's right down on the street where people would go up to the North Shore and a lot of tourisms, people dominated by tourism would drive by that, there's hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people that have driven by that in the same way I have, just totally ignored it. Why would we ignore what the most powerful statement, or one of the most powerful statements ever given to mankind? Just think about it. I am the resurrection. You know, when Christ came into the world, 
One man comes into the world, obviously the unique God-man. You know what he says? I'm the light of the world. One man comes in, I'm the light of this entire world. And then he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. We should be like, wow, those are very powerful statements. But I was blinded to it. And that's what the God of this world does. He seeks to throw out all the isms he can in this world system to keep people blinded from the glorious truth of he's the resurrection and the life. And so we're blinded through our religious ways, moral, maybe moral ways we could say is humanism, immoral ways, hedonism, or you could add other isms on there. Not all fit, but you get the point. The Bible teaches, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the, and the penalty for that is death or separation from God. What do all individuals need to see? They need to see that they're guilty sinners deserving of eternal death. So this is the topic of Romans chapters 1 through 3, but praise be to God, there's Romans chapter 3, the end, and chapter 4, and chapter 5. In fact, let's look at Romans chapter 3, verse 19, to see the conclusion of chapters 1, 2, and 3. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, chapter 3, verse 19, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. No matter how much good works you want to bring before God as our judge, he will never accept those good works to outweigh your bad or a violation of the law. In fact, I got two parking tickets a couple weeks ago. You'd think, why would I get two? You'd think I learned my lesson the first time around. Well, we live in town, and there's odd and even parking, and we woke up Monday morning. We had two cars on the wrong side of the street, and both cars had tickets, $32 apiece. So I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to go before the judge. We just moved in the neighborhood. We took over a mental rental unit. We... I shovel the neighbor's sidewalk. People see us carrying our Bibles and going to church every Sunday morning, Judge. Could you please let me off that ticket? If he is a just judge, he said, dude, pay the fine. But I even thought, why are you getting, we just moved in. I even mentally thought, what are you doing? I don't deserve these tickets. And that's the nature of man, isn't it? I don't deserve that guilty sentence upon me but that's man's human reasoning god says we're all deserving of eternal death everlasting death apart from the presence of the lord but the good news is that jesus christ said i am the door and the fact that he was willing to go to the cross for you and me two thousand years ago or some two thousand years ago and he paid for all of our sins past present future I remember being on a trip to Burma on a missionary trip, modern-day Myanmar, a guy on the plane. Um, he says, I can understand what you're saying, but what about our, all of our future sins? And this is where it's good to get taught the Word of God so you have some answers for people. And I always remember, or I remembered, praise be to God, uh, the phrase, well, if Christ died 2,000 years ago, aren't all your sins future anyway? So all the sins you do at 10 years old and all you do the sins at 80 years old, they've all been paid for. He goes, that's a really good point. 
The gentleman did not place his faith in Christ on a long 18-hour uh, flight, but he was certainly open to the word of truth. So what does a guilty sinner need to do? He just needs to simply place his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would read with me, starting in verse 21 of Romans. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God being justified through faith in Christ, Jesus Christ, to all and on all. Does that mean all have been, all have been paid, all their sins have been paid? To all, anybody, and on all, who simply what? Who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned. Some are immoral, some are moral, some are religious. All are guilty sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had previously passed over the sins that were previously committed. Those are the Old Testament saints who are waiting for the Messiah. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who again has what? Faith in, believing in, alone the Lord Jesus Christ. So the result of placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you go from death to life. You're immediately delivered from the power of darkness, Satan's kingdom, uh, being blinded by all the isms of this world, and now you think, wow, I got it. Now I drive by on my bus through my, that old church, and I'm going, praise be to God, he is the resurrection and life. Why didn't I understand it at the church? Because you go through the church doors, and they'll tell you that you're saved by your works plus Jesus Christ. And once you understand it's Christ alone, he is the cause then of justification. You can't help out that cause at all. We're guilty sinners needing to be saved by faith. And so now the Holy Spirit enters into your heart to be able to give you an understanding of this new life, an apprehension. Aha moments. Praise be to God moments. Times of worshiping the Lord moments. And you can say, I rejoice that I've been declared righteous. This is the subject of chapter 3, halfway through chapter 3 and chapter 4. What do we read in chapter 4? Read with me, if you would, please, Romans 4, verses 3 through 5. <coughs> <coughs> for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But whom does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And so this word accounting here is mentioned a couple of times, or the word counted, and it really is an accounting term where an accountant would have a ledger book. And that ledger book, you have the positive and the negative side of the ledger. And here you have Jesus Christ on the positive side of the ledger. He's totally righteous. And you and I are born unrighteous or born in sin. And so how can we be declared righteous is God is going to have to cook the books. He's going to have to do something amazing, supernatural, for us to be declared righteous. So what does he do? The Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up on a cross. He takes all of your sin and unrighteousness and placed on himself. And he buried that sin in the deepest sea. 
and he was buried and rose. So what stands between you and him about being How can God switch the books for you so you could be in the ledger book in a positive way in God's sight or being declared righteous? You just simply what? You just simply believe. This is called the great exchange of Romans chapter 4, the great imputation chapter. And then what happens? God declares you righteous, and now look at the ledger up above. It's not on the negative side. You're in the plus. You've been declared righteous before a holy God as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in Romans chapter 5, Paul has a great therefore. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have. So justified is chapter 3 and chapter 4. I was declared righteous. Now what do we have? I have the benefits of being declared righteous. And if you would read with me, please, in Romans chapter 5, 1 through 11. And let's look at the benefits of being declared righteous. <clears throat> Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet perhaps a good man, some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we are enemies, we are reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's summarize what we just read here in this diagram here. God's love is demonstrated to us. Christ was lifted up on a cross. He died for all of our sins, past, present, future. He cried out, it is finished. Paid in full. He was buried, and praise be to God, he arose again, never to die, no more. Before you were saved, in this section of scripture, these were things were true of you, and after you're saved, these things are true. These are the truths that you add up in your mind, like the old song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Here they are, a few of them one by one. Before you were saved, you were unjust. After you're saved, you've been declared righteous before a sovereign God of the universe. Amazing. Before you were saved, you had no peace with God. After you're saved, Wow, I'm at peace with God. I can live above the fray and the ruckus of this planet, this world, this world system. When Jesus Christ said, be of good cheer, why is that? He's overcome the entire world. And if you're in him, praise be to God that you can say, I'm at peace with him. I can be like Esther, knowing a Mordecai is watching over me in a, in a situation where Haman is desiring to annihilate the Jews. You can say, you know what, I don't care ultimately what happens in this world system. 
I know I'm at peace with God. Before you were saved, you had no access to God. Now we're saved, we have access to the throne of grace. We can call upon him, we can cast our care on them. We can go before him, he knows all of our needs. He's sympathetic to all the situations we've been to, we've been through, or will go through. Before you're saved, you're outside of God's grace, you're in God's grace. So when Paul says grace to you and peace, he says grace to you to all those 13 recipients, they're all nodding their heads, amen, thanks, Paul's in our corner. Would it be good to mimic Paul's opening statements in those letters? Would it be good to mimic those? Amen. Would it be good to get occupied with these truths here so that we could have a greater understanding of those truths that Paul is greeting every believer with? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Before you're saved, you have no future hope. Our culture desperately needs a future hope today. Suicide rates, chemical dependency rates, they need the future hope of glory. They don't, need, they don't need a what if. They need a secure, everlasting love that's found in the beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. The hope now and the glory later. Hope, by the way, I know you understand. This is a confident expectation. For you're saved, you have no love of the Holy Spirit. After you're saved, you have the love of God poured out in your hearts. How was that made real to you? I never understood that. I never apprehended. I've never had those aha moments. I drove by a church for years, never had an understanding of, wow, the love of the Holy Spirit just brought me to a recognition of the love of Christ, how he died for me and rose again, and he has the power of eternal life. That's very powerful in truth to that resurrection power. For your Savior under God's wrath, praise be to God, we've been delivered from the wrath to come. How's that? Well, the wrath that <clears throat> you and I deserved, it was justly poured out on who? On Christ. He took our wrath. He took our judgment for us. He was the propitiation or the satisfactory payment for our sins. Before we were enemies of God, now we're reconciled to God. It's amazing how I went through high school and college until I got saved my fourth year of college. How I didn't, I didn't, I'm not an enemy of God. Well, after when you recognize these truths, you go, yeah, I was a total enemy of God. But now, praise be to God, I've been reconciled. And then, finally, we've been passed from death to eternal life. So I had Romans 6, 7, and 8 ready to preach, but we got through Romans 1 through 5. So let's close in prayer. Thanks. Thanks, Father, for these truths. I trust that we would mimic the Apostle Paul and have a mentality towards those that are lost, that they would understand the grace that comes from you and your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when it comes to other believers, Father, we trust that the local church here is enjoying the word of God, letting it dwell in them. And so we pray that they, we would all continue in that full of grace, which comes from you and the Lord Jesus Christ and peace. And then we might know of others, Lord, who are in bondage to the world, the flesh, and devil. And pray that they would understand as believers, the wonderful grace and peace from you and your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, or those that we don't know exactly where they're at. Either way, Lord, we, we take the example, the Apostle Paul, all 13 letters, no matter what the believer's condition was, he could say, in the end, I want everyone to enjoy grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we trust that this would be something we would have in the forefront of our thinking, 
by the power of your spirit and the things of the life of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.